Today on Growing Through Grace. Out of the ashes comes Paul, the apostle. Dependent, life of faith, preaching Jesus, standing up for the cross, fighting for grace alone, and suffering like crazy to be his representative. Listening to Growing Through Grace with Pastor Jacob Elin of Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California. Oh, it's good to be with you. We appreciate you planning to spend the next half hour with us. We're going to pick up where we left off yesterday in Acts chapter 22 and catch more of Paul's address to the mob gathered at the temple steps. Pastor Jack is in the middle of examining Paul's testimony and how he persecuted the church before his conversion. So here with the conclusion of this message is our teacher, Pastor Jack. If there's one thing you can learn about walking with God by faith, it is really one step at a time. And very rarely does the Lord give you like the year's calendar. Like this will happen in February, and then in May we're going to be doing that. He just basically says, do it today, right? And as you're faithful to the Lord today, then you can discover what God has in plans for you on that day. The life of faith is defined as a step of obedience one at a time. You find it constantly. I know we've mentioned to you several times the old Acts 8, you know, Philip in the midst of a revival, told by the Spirit of God in his heart to go to the middle of nowhere in the Gaza and, and being led away from a revival in Samaria, he does so without explanation. Doesn't really know what he's doing until he gets to the middle of nowhere and the Lord says, hey, see that chariot, you know, kicking up dirt? Yeah, that guy needs to hear about me. Why don't you go join into that chariot? And, and that was step two. He runs up. He hears the fellow reading Isaiah 53. He, he asks him if he understood what he's reading. He said, I don't, somebody's got to help me. And he invited him in. He shared the gospel with him. He get, the man gets saved. He's coming from the feast days. He'd traveled for hundreds and hundreds of miles. He'd found no satisfaction in the religion of man. But he met Jesus because one fellow, Philip, was faithful to take one step at a time. If you read the whole account of Peter ending up at Cornelius's house, you'll find that it's just a series of, of challenges to take one step at a time. Peter would not have gone on day one. He wouldn't have gotten it. But the Lord slowly just kind of began to work him out. Same thing with Abraham. He was told to leave Ur the Chaldees, head for Canaan. He made a lot of stops. Should have been going for <laughs> years earlier. But he, he waited till his dad died. He kind of lived on a border town. He wouldn't really go. You know, we read about Abraham's faithfulness. Yeah, when he finally got there, but it took him a long time to get there. You read in, in Acts, no, no, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to the place where he'd afterward receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he went. That's the key. He didn't know where he was going, but when he finally just said go, he, he relinquished himself and said, I'll just go wherever God wants me to go. Paul was not given much direction. For as much as he's gone through, it might have been nice to hear, Paul, we're going to work this out. <laughs> but the Lord wanted him to sit and think about his life. And so a, fake, you know, a walk by faith just implies uh, implicit trust, not always an agenda. We don't know the next 10 steps. We do know Paul sat for three days examining his life in the dark. How horrible must this have been? 
right? Waiting for the next move, wondering if someone at the door was been sent by the Lord. And Paul would just wait. He would just wait and see what the Lord was going to do for him. So there's something about venturing as God directs. I, I always like the story in, in 1 Samuel, I guess what chapter would that be? Um, like chapter 14, where Jonathan was looking up at the stars one night, and, and he thought, man, the God I serve is so big. You know, he's so amazing. Moses had said to the people in sending them into the promised land that if they would walk with the Lord, one could put a thousand to flight and ten could put, or, or two could put ten thousand to flight, you know, if, if the Lord is with you. And he, I think it must have gone through his head because he said to his armor mirror as his dad slept under a tree, hey, you want to go see what the Lord might want to do with us? And they went to fight the enemy, and yet the enemy was far bigger than they were. And so they, did, they agreed together as they prayed that if, the, if, if they made themselves known to the enemy up on the bluffs, if they invite us up, then we know that God's with us and he'll go up with us. But if they said, no, just wait right there. We're coming to see you. Then we get out of here, man, because the Lord's not in it. But it was like one step at a time. They, they knew who God was. They didn't know what God might do, but they were willing. So Paul goes into Damascus as a broken man, led by the hand, but healed in the heart. Not seeing with his eyes, but for the first time in his life, seeing, seeing clearly. Make sense? He was blind, but boy, could he see. He sits for three days by himself in the dark. It reminds me, I always think of Psalm 46, verse 10, says, be still and know that I'm God. I mean, Paul had nothing he could do but sit and think. Am I dead? Is he going to kill me, hang me up by my thumbs? You know, I've been so wrong, I've caused such hurt. And, and yet out of the ashes comes Paul, the apostle. Dependent, life of faith, preaching Jesus, standing up for the cross, fighting for grace alone, and, you know, suffering like crazy to be his representative. Now that's all that he has shared. I mean, we, we you know, stopped for a minute, but Paul is just immediately to his salvation. I, here's, my, here, here's who I am, here's where I grew up, but here's what happened to me. He says in verse 12, Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, he came to me. And he said to me, Brother Saul, so receive your sight. And at that hour, I looked up at him. So the last thing Paul had seen was the face of Jesus. The next thing he saw was the face of Ananias. He goes from seeing the head to seeing the body of Christ, if you will. He tells the crowd the good news and the good report. Notice Ananias was a, had a great reputation among the Jews in Damascus. He was a godly man. He was a Jew. And so he came and he said to me, the God, the God of the, our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will, that you should see the just one. By the way, an Old Testament uh, demonstrated word or, or pronoun for the Messiah, the Jewish title for the coming Messiah, that you'll know his will, that you should see the Messiah, and that you should hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and what you have heard. Paul's words to Paul, uh, or Ananias' words to Paul from the Lord regarding his calling was that the Lord would use him. The, the words in chapter 9, verse 15 and 16 say, Go, you are my chosen vessel that you might bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. I'm going to show you what things you have to suffer for my name's sake. Paul just kind of 
puts those all together and he says, yeah, he told me that God was going to use me. And so notice what he says, though, in verse 14. You've been chosen. It's always nice to be chosen, don't you think? I should tell you, by the way, God chooses all. He, he calls all. He, he desires all to come. But to know that you're chosen is only a thing in the scriptures that is told to Christians, not to the lost. Right? So once you've come to the Lord, he says, I chose you. It's a, it's a comforting truth. On the outside of heaven is a gate. It says, whosoever will, let him come. But the minute you step into Christ, you can look back at the gate and it says, chosen in him before the foundations of the world. So that's, a, that's just a, for you. You're, you're the chosen. That's a good thing to know. People go, what if I'm not chosen? No, no, you're chosen. That's why you're here. God chose you. He picked you. And he picked you so that, Paul, you might know his will, see his son, and hear his voice. Isn't that great? My prayer for you every day for the last 30 years is that you might hear his voice, see his face, and know what he wants for your life. Because that's all that matters, right? If you can get that part right, I'm right where God wants me to be, we're in good shape. It's exactly what we need to know. Nothing more than that is necessary. So Paul, he, he is called. God makes some great promises. Paul had seen Jesus with his own eyes. He shares that now with the Corinthians. Now he's sneaking up on the obvious. He hopes he's laid enough foundation to be able to invite these folks to come to the Lord like he knows him and not, you know, get caught up in this prejudiced kind of prideful group that has tried to kill him. You will be my witnesses to all men of what you have seen and what you have heard. Verse 16, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, wash away your sins, call upon the name of the Lord. And so Paul was baptized, he outwardly identified with Jesus who cleansed him from his secret and his sinful ways. Now it happened, verse 17. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance, and I saw him again say to me, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. And so I said, Lord, they know that in every city or in every synagogue, sorry, I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing consenting to his death, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And he said, now depart, I'm going to send you far from here to the Gentiles. Now, verse 17, Paul, from his history, skips over three years. The three years after he came to know the Lord, he went, the Bible tells us, to the Arabian desert where he learned firsthand from the Lord the things of the scriptures. He then returned to Damascus, tried to preach in the synagogue. They tried to kill him. He had to be let in a bucket down the wall and escape Acts chapter 9. He went to Jerusalem. They didn't want to hear from him. Lasted... 14 days before they put him on a boat and said, get out of here, man, you are trouble. Paul leaves all of those stories out, just kind of combines them all, if you will, into one. He'd been told to go to the Gentiles, to kings, and to Israel. None of that had worked very well for him. 
So Paul said, the Lord says to him in verse 18, and again, we, we know from the historical portions, he's in Jerusalem after three years, back to, um, back to Damascus and then on to Jerusalem. So he's in Jerusalem, he's there for two, two weeks, Half the, maybe two or three disciples meet with him because Barnabas brokers a deal. But basically, you've got to get out of Dodge. They're not going to listen to you. And the Lord tells Paul in a trance in the temple, then get out of Dodge. And, and notice verse 19. Paul says, oh no, you're wrong, Lord. They know me. They know what I've done. They know where I've been. They know the kind of guy I am. They know how I hated the Christians. How I was there when Stephen was killed. Oh no, no, they're going to listen to me all right. Well, here's the problem. Never argue with the real directions and the clear directions from the Lord. Now, deep down in my heart, I would never say what I read here. But I'd think it. I wouldn't say to the Lord, you're wrong. But I'd think it. Because it sounds horrible when you verbalize it. Or if you hear someone saying, man, the Lord told me that, I go, that's wrong. Oh, you get goosebumps. Oh, you can't say that to God. But you'll think it. And Paul did more than think it unless this was in his mind and he was speaking to the Lord back and forth. But however it was, Paul was sure that his resources and determination and his history could reach the Jews. He didn't get a chance. Got chased out of town, went home for 10 years to Tarsus, would finally be, be brought by uh, Barnabas to Antioch. He would pastor the church there for a year and then would spend the next 15 years on the road planting churches, one, two, third journey. But now he's back home. And this whole idea of I can reach them, his argument here in verse 18 is now, you know, years later, but Paul is picking it up now. I know that, that I have street credentials with him. <laughs> I've got a background, right? I, I'm just sure that, that, they, that they'll listen to me. Paul never lost the idea that he thought he could talk them into it because of who he was. It's amazing, though, how fantasies can fall apart before your very eyes sometimes. Because we think we know better. I, I think I mentioned to you me arguing with GPS sometimes in my car. And I turn left here and I'm going, what an idiot. No, we go that way. Never have been right. Never have been right. Right? So Paul goes on. He tells them about, you know, the Lord said, don't go there. And they're going to, Lord, they know what I've done and all. And then he says in verse 21, then the Lord told me I should leave here. He's talking in the synagogue. And, and, and God was going to send me far from here. God was going to send me to the Gentiles. And, and here's when everything exploded. Verse 22 says, and they listened to him until this word, Gentiles. Oops. Should know your crowd. <laughs> The very thought to them that the Gentiles could be saved horrified them. How can they be saved first? This is blasphemy. We're closer to God than they are. And they go berserk. They call for Paul's death. They begin to tear their clothes. They throw dirt into the sky. This hasn't all at all been going well for Paul. In fact, verse 22 says, they listened until they heard this word, and then they raised their voices, and they said, away with this fellow from the earth. He is not fit to live. That's not good. And they began to cry out. They tore their clothes. They threw dirt in the air. And the commander ordered that he should be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined with scourging to find out why they were shouting so much against him. 
In many ways, it's a very sad story. Paul standing with his dream in his hand and seeing the response from the people. God had greatly blessed Paul when he preached to the Gentiles. Yet he longed to reach his own people. The thing is, God hadn't called him to that. Heartbroken as he might have been, there was no blessing there for Paul. I'll bet if Paul had often asked the Lord in prayer for one opportunity, well, he got his chance, but he learned something. Our best efforts, our specific qualifications, don't matter at all when it comes to spiritual work. I don't want you to forget that either. I know you look at people and go, well, he's much more qualified than I am to speak, to share, to go and do their work. That's not so. If God is with you, you're the most qualified. Always so. Spiritually so. It doesn't matter what you think you have in your hands. If God is with you, who can be against you? And, and never let be, you know, the situation put you off or, or, or steal from you the, the hope that you have in the Lord. You don't lose by waiting upon God. But Paul needed to learn, and, and we needed to learn, that if God is working, qualifications matter little. In fact, if God is working, he'll speak through a donkey if he has to. Just ask Balaam or one of us. The Holy Spirit in you qualifies you for the work. That's the bottom line. Nothing else. God isn't looking for great accomplishments from us, just faithfulness to his calling. And if you'll shine where he's put you, if you will not have confidence in the flesh, if you rely on the Holy Spirit, if you'll recognize that he doesn't need you, but he'll use you, then you, know, you won't have to look into your skill set to see if this is a place for you. You can just look up. And God can use you in the most tremendous of places, where, where you don't belong and there you stand. I love it. It's a great picture. Well, look at the response to Paul's dream. And this man does not deserve to live. <laughs> well, thank you. I'd hate to hear that after my preaching night. Yeah, this guy doesn't deserve to live. <laughs> Would be my last preaching night. I quit. Well, they went down and, and, and rescued Paul, dragged him inside, and then the commander said, well, we should just you know, scourge this guy. The exasperated captain had had enough. He wanted to get to the bottom of this. He'd, he'd tried to talk to the crowd, got no straight answers. He had Paul talk to the crowd. That hasn't helped either. He'll resort now to, to what Romans were good at, scourging. The New Testament version of enhanced interrogation. This nasty Roman practice of leather strips of, with, with wooden handles, with, with embedded bones and and, and metal inside, you know, the big strong soldiers slapping you on the back, tearing huge pieces of flesh out of your back. It doesn't take long for you to come up with a reason they should stop. You will confess the stuff you've never done just to make them stop. So then when you read in Isaiah where, where, where Jesus had nothing to confess, like a lamb or a sheep before his shearers is dumb, he couldn't open his mouth. Know this, whatever beating they gave him, it never stopped because he couldn't confess anything. Now there are countries that still flog you. You can get in trouble in Singapore. You'll still get beat. Um, if this beating went on long enough, the Roman kind of beating, you were maimed pretty quickly. You could die fairly quickly as well. Now, it hadn't started. And you remember Paul um, had been scourged back in Philippi, if you were with us back in those days. He hadn't said anything, but if he had said, I'm a Roman citizen, the law said you couldn't beat a Roman citizen, but Paul didn't speak up to, to demand his rights. We don't know why. We, we trust that the Lord told him not to. Paul went to prison. 
He was able to lead a prisoner, a jailer, I should say, and his family to the Lord. And then when they finally found out he was a Roman, he made a deal with the local government to take it easy on the church. He bought them some time. So it was a good place to not demand his civil rights. People, well, it's my civil rights. Well, sometimes you don't need them. You just, you just need to make sure people get saved. On this occasion, however, Paul does speak up to tell them he's a Roman citizen, which saves him a pretty good beating because this guy was not happy and he wanted some answers. So we read in verse 25, and as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to them, and to the, to the centurion said by him, is it lawful to you to scourge a man who's a Roman and I'm uncondemned? And when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander and he said, take care what you do. This man is a Roman. So Paul speaks up. They tied him to the post. He, did, he thought this was a good time for civil rights. Uh, he speaks up and he is saved. Look, the, the Lord doesn't always require you to take the martyr's route. <laughs> Some people go looking for trouble and then they quote, you know, well, we're living godly lives in Christ. We're going to suffer persecution. Well, not if you're a goof. So Paul gets, you know, he gets, he claims his citizenship. Now, by Roman law, if you claim to be a citizen and were, and were not, you got killed. There wasn't beatings. You're dead. There was no illegal immigration with the Romans at all. They were pretty strict. So when the centurion heard about it, he ran to the commander who, who then, you know, don't, don't lay your hand on him. And we read in verse 27 that the commander came to Paul and said, are you a Roman? And Paul said, yes. And the commander said, with a large sum, I obtained my citizenship. And Paul said, I was born a citizen. So they immediately uh, those that were examining him withdrew from him. <laughs> Nobody wants to lay a hand on this guy. And the commander was also afraid because he was found out that he was a Roman and they had already put him in chains, which was as illegal as it could be. Roman citizenship could be obtained in Jesus' day in many ways. You could be born in a city that was a free birth city. Tarsus happened to be one of those. You just got lucky. <laughs> you were born in the right place. You could receive a, a citizenship from a king or a high official. Most people bought it at exorbitant prices, came with lots of benefits. But the, notice the captain had paid a lot for his. The interrogator was frightened and withdrew himself. The captain wasn't happy, but Paul, you know, was safe. We are told in verse 30 that the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why the, the, he had been accused by the Jews, he released Paul from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all of his council to appear. And so they set Paul into the midst of them, and he wants to work this thing out. So Paul got kept a night in jail. In the morning, the captain felt he'd get to this bottom of this. This was it. Summons the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the Jews, to, to show up for a testimony. He says to Paul, I want you to come and stand before them, and we're going to work this out. And so chapter 23 is Paul before his accusers. It's a pretty cool discussion. We don't have time for it now. So you'll be back, won't you? And what a great story of intrigue and determination. And we'll have to wait for the outcome next time. We've been listening to a study taken from Acts chapter 22. This has been the second half and conclusion of a two-part study taught by Pastor Jack Abelan. If you'd like to get the entire message, we do have that available for you. 
All you need to do to order, simply contact us and ask for study number 3082. It's always helpful for us to know the radio station that you're listening to, so be sure to mention those call letters when you get a hold of us. And as we're studying the beginning of the church, how about going all the way back to the beginning of creation? It's always good to see the foundations of our faith in the very first book of the Bible. And here in the month of February, we'd like to offer to you Pastor Jack's teachings through the book of Genesis in the MP3 format on either a single CD or a USB flash drive. Pastor Jack takes us to the account of creation, the flood, and the beginning of God's covenant relationship with man through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if you'd like to get Pastor Jack's studies through Genesis in the MP3 format, either on a single CD or a USB flash drive, or to get today's study, just dial our toll-free phone number at 866-88-GRACE. That's 866-884-7223. Again, that's 866-884-7223. You can also order by mail. Just address your letter to Growing Through Grace, P.O. Box 1954, Whittier, California, 90609. And as always, we have this resource and all of our others available online at growingthroughgrace.com. That's growingthroughgrace.com. That does finish up our time for today. We invite you to plan on joining us next time as we'll continue working our way through the book of Acts. Until then, as you daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, may you continue to grow in His grace. Growing Through Grace is a listener-supported ministry brought to you by Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California, a Calvary Chapel outreach.